0: Welcome to the Three Strands podcast. We hope you'll enjoy the sermon you're about to hear. At Three Strands, our mission is to create a culture of redemption where people are free to experience the truth and grace of Jesus Christ. So we're in this series called uh, Cliff Notes and these mountaintop moments in the Bible where people are on top of mountains and they're meeting with God. They're having these encounters with God and um, sometimes they're learning something new. Sometimes he's reminding them of something they forgot. Sometimes he's shifting or changing the paradigm of their relationship, but they're kind of mountaintop moments. And we can have these moments even if we're not on top of a mountain physically. And each week I've kind of been giving you my definition of a mountaintop moment. Here it is on the screen again. It's just a time of spiritual clarity where the distractions of life kind of fade away and the realities of God's presence come into sharper focus. And and, and many people in the room have probably experienced one or many moments like this in their life. A lot of times for us, these moments come uh, maybe when we're in a tree stand or on a boat fishing or in an emergency room waiting room or uh, uh, at a funeral, just kind of considering life. And, and in these moments, God kind of seems to show up and change the way you think. Got to give you some clarity about your relationship with him or his presence around you. And, and you kinda, for some of us, those moments have come in church services, You've been listening to some preaching or, or, or engaging in some worship music. And, and in those times, you've had this moment of kind of clarity with the Lord of, man, I need to make a change in my life. Or I need to think differently about something. Or man, I totally forgot about how good God had been in that area. And it, it just gives you some spiritual clarity. That's these moments that we're talking about. And so we looked in week one at uh, Abraham, and he went up on top of a mountain, and God tested his faith. And sometimes in mountaintop moments, your faith is tested. And last week we looked at Moses and he went up on a mountain. God gave him the, the law etched out in stone by his own fingertips. And, uh, and it wasn't like new information. It was, it was kind of the same information he'd already give it to him, but he gave it to him in a new way on these stone tablets, right? And we got to see Moses up there waiting and worshiping, but down below people were waiting and whining. And sometimes God has you in this waiting stage of life and, and he wants you to worship in that, but man, we're so quick to whine about it, right? And so if you missed one of those two weeks, I hope you'll go back and kind of check them out. And today we're going to look at a new character from God's Word, a character named Elijah. He's a prophet in the Old Testament. If you want to follow along in your own copy of God's Word, um, you can. We'll be in 1 Kings chapter 19 the whole time today. 1 Kings chapter 19. All the verses will be on the screen for you. But Elijah is going to have a mountaintop moment. Let me, we're going to be in 1 Kings 19 the whole time, but let me give you some background we don't have time to look at his whole life. But let me just give you a little bit of background about 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18. Some really cool stuff happens there and we could camp there a long time, but we won't today. Let me just kind of sum it up for you. So uh, at this time in the nation of Israel, the, they, they didn't have a civil war, but the nation is kind of split into two kingdoms. It was kind of amicable and, and, and peaceful. It wasn't like a, a fight, but But you have these two kingdoms and the northern kingdom of Israel is now called Israel and the southern kingdom is now being called Judah. And these two kind of kingdoms are divided. They each have their own kings and their own system of government, but they're still all Jewish people. Elijah is a prophet who functions primarily in the northern kingdom of Israel, not in Judah so much. He does kind of go to Judah sometimes, but primarily he functions as a spokesperson for God or a prophet out of this northern kingdom. Well, at this time, there's a king and queen in the northern kingdom, King Ahaz and, king, and Queen Jezebel, and they are evil. They don't love the Lord. They worship other gods. And in fact, if anybody is found worshiping Jehovah or the God we would call God today in English here, right, uh, then, then they would have those people executed. They would have them imprisoned or tortured. They were, they were wicked, brutal, even brutal. And uh, Elijah, so here's Elijah trying to give people instructions or words from the Lord at the same time that the government over him is evil and wicked and trying to kill people for following Jehovah or following the Lord, right? And so there's this kind of constant tension between Elijah and what God has called him to do and the authorities around him. There's this tension. this back and forth. And, and so you see all these conversations that take place between Elijah and King Ahaz. And he will go to him and, and kind of tell him what's up. Be like, hey, you're doing the wrong thing. God doesn't want you to do this. Tear down these idols. Stop worshiping these false gods. Stop, uh, stop being so harsh on the people for following God. Instead, do the right thing. He's, there's this kind of attention right and so uh in in first kings chapter 17 elijah goes to king ahaz and he says uh i'm going to i'm going to pray that god will kind of make your life a little harder because you're not getting the message and in fact not only is he going to make your life harder but i'm going to pray that he makes everybody's life harder so that the entire nation will see the air of their ways and turn back to god So he prays and he says, uh, I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask God to send us some drought. I'm going to ask him to have it not rain. And so uh, Elijah prays and God answers his prayer and he says, it's not going to rain until I pray and ask for rain again. Now this goes on for over three years, about three and a half years. No rain, drought, famine all over the nation. People are starving. The king and queen, they don't get the message. They actually just hate Elijah even more, right? And so we're three and a half years in, and there hasn't been any rain. And all along that three and a half years, God has still managed to take care of Elijah. He's given him a place to live, kept him safe from those, especially the king and queen, who would like to kill him. He's provided food for him, and miraculously, where there was no food, God kept multiplying the food every day, so Elijah would always have something to eat. So it's drought. And famine and no rain for everyone. But Elijah is living safe with all the food he needs to get by. For three and a half years, it's like this. And then after three and a half years, it's kind of a transition. Because you go from 1 Kings 17 to 1 Kings 18. And it took three and a half years to get there of drought and famine. You don't really get that from the text. But it took you three and a half years to get there. And then Elijah shows up in 1 Kings chapter 18 to King Ahaz. And he says, okay, here's what we're going to do. Nobody's getting the message. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a contest. You get all of your prophets, all of them, and you have a meet me on Mount Carmel. And we're going to have a contest to see whose God is real and whose God is fake. And at that time, uh, King Ahaz had 450 false prophets of a God named Baal. And his wife, Queen Jezebel, she had 400 prophets of a false God named Asherah. And so he said, get all your prophets and meet me on Mount Carmel. We're going to see who's legit. And so uh, King Ahaz puts out the word, not just to those prophets, but actually to all the people too. And so who knows how many people showed up. I know for a fact, 850 prophets that were testifying or giving word to King Ahaz and Queen Jezebel, they show up. And maybe thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands more people, who knows, show up on this mountain to watch this contest between the guy who says he speaks for Jehovah and the prophets that say they speak for the gods. And so they get to this mountain and the, uh, the contest goes a little something like this. I'm going to try to just kind of sum it up for you. But Elijah says, go ahead and take two oxen, kill them. Put them on an altar, one on this altar, one on this altar, and you prophets go ahead and pray to your gods and ask him to burn up that offering with fire. I'll do the same thing to my God, and we'll see which God sets the sacrifice on fire. You guys go ahead and go first, Elijah says. So they build this altar out of stone, and they put some wood on it, and they put this dead ox on top of it, and they start to pray. These 850 prophets, they start to pray, but nothing's happening. So they get a little louder. They start to cut themselves. They start to get a little crazy. Anybody ever been around like anybody getting a little crazy under the name of a religion, right? They're getting a little crazy. They're starting to scream and shout and dance and cut themselves like that's going to work. But nothing seems to happen. In the text, Elijah actually starts to make fun of him. And he's like, hey, why don't you uh, shout a little louder? Maybe your God's asleep. Maybe he went on vacation. Maybe he's going to the bathroom. You can look it up for yourself. 1 Kings 18. It's kind of in there. And he's just kind of like making fun of them because nothing's happened. And it's almost like this scene out of some, you know, like uh, uh, um, way back African tribal dance to go to war or something, right? And they're, they're dancing around this altar, cutting themselves and screaming and begging their gods to show up and nothing happens. And so finally they get worn out and quit. And, and now it's Elijah's turn. And he builds back this altar and he puts his dead oxen on top of it then he says to all the people around, he says, I want you to go get a dozen pitchers of water and dig a trench around my altar here and fill it with water. And they do that. And he says, now go get 12 more pitchers of water and dump them on top of the wood and the oxen. And they do that. And He says, that's not enough. Do it again. I get 12 more pitchers of water and dump it out on top of the oxen and the wood drenched, right? Making a fire that much more difficult. And he prays, he says, God, prove to these people you're the real God. And instantly, the text says, God sends down fire, consumes the oxen, consumes the wood. The fire is so intense, it consumes the stone, licks up all the water. It's obvious that God is the real God. And then Elijah says, don't let any of these false idiots get away. He didn't say idiots. That's like my own translation. They round them all up and Elijah kills them all. Now, it it physically would be a hard job just to kill 850 people in one day. So I don't know how he did it, I don't know what he used, but it's like, he kills all these false prophets, and That's it. King Ahaz is left looking at this thing and like, "What's going on?" And he goes back home to his wife and he tells her what happened. And that's where we're going to pick the story up in First Kings chapter 19. Elijah has seen some amazing things. He's seeing God step in and answer his prayer. He's seeing God provide for him miraculously. He's seeing God um, give him the energy and the strength to defeat everybody that's coming against him. And you would think Elijah would be ready to take on the world. I would be. It feels like I would be if you saw stuff like that. But instead of all that, he's going to get scared. He's going to go run and hide in fear. And this mountaintop moment he's going to have doesn't come because he's trying to learn more about the Lord. It doesn't come because uh, uh, um, he's, he's wanting to put his faith to the test or it doesn't come because he's looking for some new revelation from God or it doesn't come because he wants his relationship with the Lord to change or anything like that. It, it comes like many of our mountaintop moments come. It comes because he's scared. So he runs away somewhere to get off by himself. So let me read you the beginning of it. 1 Kings chapter 19, starting in verse 1, says this. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. You turn me down just a hair more. Just a little bit more. You guys hear it too? You guys hear it or is it just me? I'm like a dog that can, like I can hear the dog whistle, but nobody else can. Just squealing a little bit, right? You can hear it? Okay. (laughs) But, um, all right. So this mountaintop moment is all about God giving Elijah a new perspective. Not new information, not showing off his great power. Just giving him a new perspective on life. And I wonder how often we've found ourselves afraid in this kind of moment. Scared of something that seems like God is way bigger than. But we just get terrified of it. And God needs to give us a new perspective. I don't don't know if you've ever flown or not. But I can remember the first time I flew on an airplane. I was a senior in high school. And uh, I was flying from, we left from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Went to Houston. And then from Houston to Belize City in Central America. And uh, I remember being afraid. To get on the plane. I'd never been on a plane. I don't like heights. And so I thought like this can be terrifying. Uh, and, and for any of you who haven't flown and are scared of heights, nothing like being up high on a cliff or something like that. It's like I felt like I was just in a room like, looking down and everything. And so it wasn't really scary. But before I went, I was scared. So I, mean, I was ready. I got prayed. I had some Dramamine with me. You know, for, I'm ready for whatever, you know, uh, packing my own chute in case things get desperate and I got to jump, you know. But um, And so like I'm scared, but then I get up there and I wasn't scared at all. And I remember the thing that stuck out to me the most about my very first airplane flight was that when I looked out the window, everything down below seemed tiny. And if you've ever flown over like a city or something like that, and you have looked down, you see like houses and it's like, it just looks so small. Of course, back then there was no Google Earth and there was no like satellite imagery for everybody to check out on their phones. Uh, And so uh, this was like my one look from up above. And uh, I just remember thinking like, man, everything's so little down there. But nothing down there was different. Every house and every car, every boat, every building I saw, they were all the exact same size as when I took off. The only thing that had changed was my perspective. I was like an eagle. I was soaring high like an eagle. Up above, everything below me. And, and from up there, everything looked a little smaller. That's the kind of perspective shift we need when we get scared. So here's Elijah. He's terrified of this threat from this lady. And he runs. He runs and hides. And, uh, I started thinking this week about Elijah's fear. So let me just give you like, what it looked like for Elijah's life to be controlled by fear. Because I think it's the same things that our life looks like when we're controlled by fear. Here, here's the first one. You ready? When your life is controlled by fear, the problems always seem to grow. That's how it was for Elijah. It kept getting bigger. The problem was actually smaller. He went from one against 850 to one-on-one. But in his mind, it was a bigger problem. That's what fear does. I mean, think of all the amazing things Elijah has seen God do over the past three and a half years now. And now he's afraid of this one woman who's threatening him. But that's what fear does. It, it makes you think the problems are bigger than they really are. All right, here's the second thing he did. Uh, when, when your life is controlled by fear, the distance never seems to be enough. He kept running. Now I don't know if you just kind of you can miss this if you just read through the story real quick, but like Elijah leaves to get away from Jezebel, but that isn't far enough. So then he leaves the country, and then that isn't far enough. And so he tells his servant to stay here, and he wanders out into the wilderness another day by himself. It's like it was never far enough away to feel safe. And then when your life is controlled by fear, your hope starts to shrink. It will often drive you to kind of give up on life. You start to think things like, I quit. Or what's the use? Elijah said it this way, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I can remember a moment like that. Some of you know my story. Like, you know, uh, I haven't always been a pastor. I haven't always been standing up here in front of you guys. But like, uh, you know my story. Sometimes when I get to tell my story, this piece comes out in it. But I can remember sitting in a prison cell just telling God I hate him. I hate you. If this is it, why don't you just let me die? It's this moment. It's a mountaintop moment. You're afraid. Hope starts to shrink. Just rather be dead. This is how Elijah feels right now. But here's the good news for today the good news is no matter how scared I get, no matter how big the problem looks to me, no matter how far I run away and hide, No matter how hopeless everything seems to feel, God's still talking. That's what's going to happen in this story. God keeps speaking. God's still got stuff to say. So I want to show you what God says to Elijah in his despair, when he's run and hid, when he thinks the problem is so big there's nothing he can do about it. I want to show you today what God says to him when he's afraid and what he would say to us when we're afraid. Can I do that? So look with me at verse 5. says, then he, Elijah, lay down and slept under a broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again, touched him and said, get up and eat some more or your journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and he ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of the Lord. It's right where Moses was last week in the account we looked at. There he came to a cave where he spent the night, but the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Elijah? All right, this is going to be hard for you to get, but let me just kind of walk you through this, this little paragraph here, right? Here's really what God's saying to him. I'm going to sum it up in one line if I can, but then we'll go back and just kind of talk about it for a second. But really what he's saying is like, I know you're scared, but I'm still loving you. I know you're scared, Elijah, but God's saying, I still, I am still loving. Think about it. God could have just been like, well, I'm going to teach him a lesson. Go out in the wilderness on your own. Run away and hide from stuff I want you to confront. Why don't you get a little hungry and think about yourself for a while? No, instead he shows up, has an angel show up, and he he gives him this tree to sleep under, and the angel shows up and says, hey, get up and eat, and bam, there's some food to eat. And then he goes back to sleep, and then he wakes him up again. He's like, eat again. Just get your strength back. Get some nourishment. Listen, when you're afraid or anxious, there's a lot of truth to the fact like you might just need a nap and something to eat. Like that's a good thing. I know it's kind of really practical and physical and we're supposed to be talking about spiritual things and all that, but sometimes the thing that would help you the most might be like, get eight hours of sleep and eat something, right? There's some real truth to that. Now, you can kind of apply that to our lives today spiritually too because God lays out in his word what spiritual rest looks like and what spiritual food tastes like. And we might need the physical rest and the physical food. But we need the spiritual rest and the spiritual food too. Spiritual rest in the Bible is just called Sabbath. That's it. It's just taking one day out of every week and saying that day, I'm not going to work. I'm not going to save up all my chores and knock them out on that one day off work and make my day off a work day too. I'm going to rest and just be with the Lord. You say, you don't understand. I'd never get to all the work. I'd have. Agreed. You'll never get to all the work there is to do, ever. So you might as well just do it God's way instead. Because there will always be more work to do. And so you just take one day and you rest to be closer to the Lord. Spiritual food in the Bible is right here. He says it's his words. You just soak them in. You read them. And and you could overcome a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety if you just Sabbath and read. If you just rest and eat. A lot. That's where he starts on this thing. He starts loving on Elijah, providing for his needs, right? All right. And then he goes on. Look at verse 10. Elijah replied. This is Elijah's answer to the question, what are you doing here, Elijah? He says, I have zealously or passionately with all I've got, zealously, Serve the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left. Man, that's like a common feeling when you're afraid or anxious, right? Nobody gets it. Nobody knows how I feel. I'm the only one going through this, right? I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too, he says. And God says back to him, go out and stand before me on the mountain." And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. You guys see what's happening, right? Like God's showing him all this stuff, but God's not in any of it. He sends him earth, wind, And fire, right, but God's not in any of that. Man, you guys are lame this morning. All right, earth, wind, and fire, and God's not in any of that, right? Everybody in our crowd's too young to even know what that means. And so, uh, but then, but then God shows up one more time. There was a sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, same question again, What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? He replied the exact same response. I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me. Yeah, God says when you're afraid, I'm still loving. I'm still loving. But he also says, I'm still teaching. And he shows up in this moment, he's trying to teach Elijah something. Here's what he's trying to teach him, you ready? You don't need all my power right now. You think you do. You think you're so scared that I need to step in, just fix it all with my might. But what you really need is my whisper. You just need to learn from me. You need to learn from me. I've got something to teach you. And it's crazy because like our world tells you the exact opposite when you're discouraged, depressed, sad, anxious, or afraid. They tell you to hurry up. Get moving, get your mind off of it. Busy up your life so you don't even think about that stuff anymore. And God's like, no, 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 slow down. I've got something to teach you. I got something for you to learn in this moment of fear. We don't like to hear that. We want God to just fix it. But that isn't what he says here. He's like, I got a message for you. And he asks him again, why are you here? And Elijah gives him the same answer. And then he goes on. Let me read you in verse 15 what God says. He really doesn't say anything at all about how Elijah feels. He says, then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came. (laughs) Turn around, do a 180, get back to it. Travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, get to work. That's what he's going to tell him. Anoint Hazel to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel-Meholah, to replace you as my prophet. It's like he just gives them a list of stuff to go do. And it's like Elijah's scared and God's like, but I'm still loving and and I'm still teaching. But I'm also still focused. You have to get focused. I've still got a mission for you. Your fear doesn't get you out of my purpose for your life. You don't only live out your mission and your purpose for my putting you on this planet and my saving your soul. You don't only live out that mission when everything feels good. I got a job for you to do. Get to work. Get back to it. Elijah's consumed with his anxiety, but God stays laser focused on his next assignment. That's how he feels about you guys. I'm going to, Abby, can you move that stuff off the... Uh, Seat right beside you. My health insurance provider just texted me too, but I should text him back. Tell him I'm in church. But um, it's almost like I'm gonna sit here. Is that okay, Ethan? I'm gonna sit down for a second. It's almost like you're doing your life right, and uh, and you're looking at your phone, right? And you're looking. You you wanna look with me? Is that okay? Oh, we'll we'll turn around this way. Can you turn around this way? We'll turn around this way. How's that? And you're looking at it, your phone. to see all those people now. Some of that's scary. Some of that is really scary, right? (laughs) And you're looking at life like through this phone or through this filter, through this focus, through this lens. And some of it looks scary because some of it's big and scary and tough, you know. Some of it can get you into a lot of trouble, you know. Some of it will discourage you all the time. Some of it's uh, too too busy, uh, I don't know, swimming. Yeah, too busy swimming. Some of it's too busy, like, you know, letting their apartments get run down and overcharging their tenants. And so you look through this lens and you're like, ooh, scary, scary, right? And so then you get this thought to your head. You're like, well, I'll just flip it around. And then you look in here like this and you're like, ooh, well, that's a little scary, too. You know? And then you look in there and sometimes that doesn't look scary. That just looks inadequate. You know, you're looking in here and you're like, oh, man, everything out there was scary, but then when I flipped it around I started to focus on me and that now everything just seems inadequate like I see all that scary stuff out there but what I see in here can't deal with it you know And this is how we look life wouldn't it be great if God had a better way than looking at everything around you or looking at yourself He does It's like you need a filter on your phone where you can just like look at this And he's like if you'll just focus on the mission all the stuff that's scaring you won't really matter that much. It, it'll shrink instead of getting bigger. You won't have to run away and hide. You'll press in and work. So you gotta get focused on the mission. If only there was a place to, if only this image was like burned into our brains, it was always what we saw on our phones, and we could go to it anytime we needed a little pick-me-up and just be like, just be like, man, I, I gotta get refocused. And that's what God's saying when you get afraid you got a mission. You're you're too valuable. You're too important to the kingdom to be running and hiding. There's somebody you work with that needs invited to church. There's somebody that you go to school with that needs you to speak up with courage about your faith. There's somebody in your family that doesn't even know the truth about Jesus. you got to get focused. And then this is how he ends it. In verse 17, he says... Anyone who escapes Haziel will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. In other words, God had already taken care of Elijah's problems, all the stuff he was scared of. And it's like he's saying to him and to us, when you're afraid, I'm still sovereign. Sovereign, just like a big $2 church where it just means I'm in complete control. And God's like, hey, when you're scared, don't sweat it. I'm still in complete control. I've already worked out the thing you're scared about. All those people that are trying to kill you, I'm going to have them killed. Oh, you think you're all alone out there? No, 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 no. I got 7,000 friends of yours that I'm going to bring along for the ride. Everything you are afraid of, God has already dealt with. He's taking care of it. Maybe you just can't see it yet. It's like this. I'm going to leave for a second. Is that okay? Everybody just stay where you're at. I hope you'll stay where you're at. It's like if I walk, I didn't test this ahead of time, so if this squeals or something, I don't know. But it's like I walk out in the hallway, and now I can't see you. Now I can't see any of you. But just because I can't see you doesn't mean that you left. I hope not. Right? But that's what we do, right? We can't see God, so we think he abandoned us. We're looking around at our situation, and it scares us. Maybe I'll always be single. I'll never find the right person. I'll never get past this grade. I'll never graduate. I'll never get a job that's fulfilling. I'll never be, a, I'll never be able to get myself unburied from all the debt I'm in. We just see the thing that scares us. We don't see God anywhere, and we can't see how it's going to end. And so we think he's abandoned us. But just because you can't see God doesn't mean he's abandoned you. And we've got to develop a comfort level. This, this is just for the Christians in the room. If you're not a Christian, you're here, just hang with me for a second. We'll be back to you in a second too. But if you're a Christian in the room, you've you got to hear this thing. You've got to develop a comfort level between what you see and what you hear, between sight and sound. Because this is the way God operates. He always tells you what to do before he shows you how it's going to work out. And we don't walk by sight, we walk by faith. This is what it looks like to be a Christian. I know I can't see how that's going to work out well, but God says to do it, so I'll just do it. The the comfort between sound and sight. See, you ask a lot of people, and they think that in the Bible, the opposite of faith is doubt. But really, that's not the case. In the Bible, the opposite of faith is sight. I know you can't see how it's going to work out. I know you can't see how possibly God could be in this fear you've got. But maybe he's trying to show you his love. To walk you through it. Maybe he's trying to teach you something along the way. Maybe he's trying to remind you that he's in complete control. Maybe he's trying to get you refocused on what actually matters. I don't have time for a life group. I don't have time for a serving role. I don't have time for a Sabbath. I don't have time to read my Bible. I don't have enough money to give. I don't have enough. You just can't see how it's going to work out. But nobody's telling you, you have to see how it's going to work out. Our job is just to obey what he says. I don't have to know how it's going to work out. If I did have to know how it's going to work out, it wouldn't be faith. Faith. Isn't that what Jesus said to Thomas? Blessed are you, Thomas, who sees and touches the holes in my hands and the hole in my side and believes. But even more blessed are those who believe without seeing. This is what God's saying to Elijah. It's what he's saying to us when we're afraid. And if you're like me, you might be thinking when you hear this story, because this is what I think, it's like, how could Elijah have enough faith to stand toe-to-toe with 850 prophets, have a contest against, knowing that if he fails, they're probably going to kill him. How could he have enough faith to stand toe-to-toe with all of them and then be so scared by the threat of this one woman that he would run away and hide in a cave on the side of a mountain? It doesn't seem logical to me. Do you still think anxiety is rational? Is that what we think? Do you think fear is playing fair? I mean, think about it for a second. Think about the craziness of this. Elijah is running for his life at the same time he's asking God to kill him. It doesn't even make sense. You don't even have to ask God to kill you. If you wanted to die, just stay where you were. They were gonna kill you. It's like, but it's not rational. It doesn't make any sense. It isn't logical. It's fear. It's irrational. And then, on top of that, just so you know, like in case you're not familiar with Elijah's story, there's two people in all of history who have yet to die. They've never died. And Elijah's one of them. Could it be that the thing you're so scared of won't even happen? He was so afraid to be killed. And still he hasn't died thousands of years later. Did you notice in the text that it wasn't Elijah who figured things out? It wasn't the strength of his might or his grit or his determination that pulled him out of this fear and got him back on track. No, God did it. He shows up and with a gentle whisper, with love and instruction and his complete control and his laser focus on the mission, he whispers to Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Where is here? Where is here? It's the place you run and hide when you're scared. Now for us, it usually isn't the side of a mountain. Could be. Usually not. Usually here's where it is. You want to know where it is? Not here. You ready? When somebody starts to get scared or it gets a little too real, this is the place they stop coming. They don't want to be surrounded by God or God's people. They want to hide somewhere. Because they might tell me what's right and wrong. Oh, I don't want to hear that. That scares me a little bit because I want to go with what I can see and feel. So I hide. I run. Everything seems too big to deal with. I can never get far enough away and I feel completely hopeless. Why are you hiding in fear? So let me get this real practical for you to go home today. Let's just like take what God said to Elijah and how can we do it in our lives today? I'm going to give you just four things you can do if you feel fear, if you feel anxiety, if you're like, man, it terrifies me to speak in front of anybody else about my faith. It terrifies me to lead my family in devotional times with the Lord. It terrifies me to go home and say, I want to start doing a Sabbath. It terrifies me to walk into my boss and say, I need off on Sundays. It terrifies me. You're scared. You're scared. I want to give you the same advice God gave Elijah, but let's 2023 it. Can we do that? Here's what he's really saying to him. Here's what he's really saying to us. When you're afraid, when you're afraid, just give you four things. Here's the first one. You ready? Sleep, eat, Sabbath, and read. Sleep, eat, Sabbath, and read. That's the first one. Just like God did for Elijah. Slow down, take a nap, eat something. Take a Sabbath day, read something. Fill up your physical and spiritual batteries a little bit. It's amazing how much temptation, how much trauma, how much stress happens after midnight. It's amazing. It's amazing, you know, like just get some sleep, eat some food, spend some time with the Lord. All right, here's the second one. Second one's a question you got to ask yourself. You ready? What is God trying to teach me? Now, this one you might not be able to answer by yourself, You might have to find one or two trusted friends who love the Lord and be like, Here's what's going on in my life. I'm kind of scared. What do you think God would want me to learn from this? See if they don't know. See if they can't give you some instruction on what God's trying to whisper to you or teach you. Third one's a question, too. You ready? How can I serve God? Not how can I figure out a way out of this? How can I make it all better? How can I get my act cleaned up or get my finances in order then I'll start doing the right thing for the Lord? No, right now when I'm scared, when none of it makes sense, when I can't see the end game, right now how can I serve the Lord? Get back on the mission. How can I do that? This one too you might need to pull somebody else in on. What do you think? Need some help. Here's what's going on in my life. What do you think I could do to serve the Lord during this season? Here's the fourth thing. You ready? remind yourself God's in control. Sometimes you got to have a pep talk with yourself. Sometimes I got to be like, this looks like a mountain, but God can move that thing. This looks overwhelming, but God, that's nothing to him. God's in complete control. I got to remind myself of that often because if not, I'll get scared. It reminds me of something I've shared with our church many times over the years, but the most often repeated command in the Bible is not to love the Lord. It's not to read your Bible. It's not to live a good life the most often repeated command in the Bible is fear not, fear not. And almost every single time that God says in his word, fear not, he follows it up with the reason we're not supposed to be afraid. It's always one of three lines, ready? He'll say, fear not, for I have never abandoned you in the past. Or he'll say, fear not, for I am with you right now. Or he'll say, fear not, for I will never leave you in the future. See, the antidote for fear is not you running away and hiding. It's not you figuring it all out on your own or or getting stronger and tougher in life. It's, It's not you doing anything. It's you recognizing that God's right there with you. He's got something to teach you. He's whispering to you, I still love you. I have something for you to learn in this. I know it doesn't make sense to you, but get back on the mission. Don't worry about it. I got it all in control. I got it all figured out already. I know you're scared. We're all scared. Everybody's scared of stuff. But the promise isn't that God will make it all better. The promise is that God will never leave you. I can walk through the valley of the shadow of death, not because I'm so strong. I can fear no evil, not because I'm so wise. I can fear no evil because I know you are with me. That's the promise, that God's with you. His presence is the antidote for fear. And so how do you get around that presence? Well, I rest and just spend time with him. I read what he says in his word. I I get back on his mission. I get focused on the things that matter to him. I remind myself that he's in complete control of everything. I'm soaking my life in his presence. And it drives away fear. His love, his presence, his concern for me, his, his great mastery and sovereignty over all my plans and all my life. Those are the things that drive out fear from my life. Some of you that know me, you know that like I'm an I'm a over and over repeater when it comes to like songs I like. That really annoys some people. But like when I find a song I like, I just play it on repeat until I'm sick of it and then I go on to another song. And uh, so I've been playing this song on repeat all week this week um, called How Good Is He? It's a couple years old now, but it's called How Good Is He? And, And rarely does this happen, but my favorite line in the whole song is the very last line that says, How good is he? If he never did another thing for me, he's all I'll ever need. How good is he? And I just want you to know that right now, no matter how scared you are, no matter how anxious you feel, no matter how little it feels like you can see how it's all going to come together or work out, none of that stuff matters. No matter how strongly those feelings are battering the inside of you right now, I want you to know God would look at you today and he'd just say like, oh, I'm still loving you. Still trying to teach you something. Still trying to get you focused on what really matters. Still trying to remind you that I'm in complete control of everything. I don't know who you are. If you were here last week, we kind of hammered people a little bit last week. This week's almost the exact opposite. If I was God, it'd be different. If I was God, this would be the week I'd be like, get back to work, you jerk. But instead he shows up and he's like, I love you. I've got something good for you. I've got a plan for your life. I'm in complete control of all the stuff you're scared of. And so maybe you just needed to hear that today but I challenge you to go out of the room and not just be the same. Go out of the room and don't walk by fear. Walk by faith. Go out of the room and live with courage. Go out of the room and live like you're saved. Go out of the room and live like Jesus has it all figured out already, because he does. Can I pray for you, dear Heavenly Father? Will you just, uh, I don't know, God, just take our little offerings today and cause them to make sense inside the hearts of everybody in the room. Just take your words and just help them to ring true in everybody's mind today. Help them to go out of here determined to live with courage, to live out your calling on their life, to not run in high, but to press in, to let you love on them. Just give everybody here a dose of you and your glory today so that they would go out of the room and and walk by faith, God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Wow, we hope that encouraged you and will push you to know Jesus better. There's no better life than the life that is completely dependent on God. Be sure to check back each week for new podcasts from 3SC.